Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Bill Jones, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thank you, sir. All right, I guess we have to uh, get this over with. Kevin is here tonight <laughs> as the occasional co-host, and that's how you and I connected tonight. I, I think you and I met... 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Probably a WrestleMania at Kevin's. It's exactly what it was. Uh, and I, I think you cooked that night, ate some of your food, and watched some wrestling. But this is the second time I've seen you. And it's been so long that I'm not sure you and I could have picked each other out of the crowd. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. It's all good. All right, but we're going to talk about a few things. Primarily, we're going to talk about you. And then I think we're going to get into some barbecue, some fire trucks, some golf, and some softball. Does that sound good? Sure. All right. Cool. Everything else would be more exciting than talking about me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, let's start with you. Where were you born? Short Pump. What, now, was it Short Richmond. Pump? I was uh, born in a hospital in Richmond, but right. uh, we lived out in Short Pump when Short Pump was Short Pump. I mean, nothing was out there, was it? No. Uh, 64 hadn't even been cut through at that time. Oh, my goodness. Um, 64 was in the process of being cut through, uh, but it was, not, it was not all the way out to Short Pump at that time. They had cleared the land. Cox Road... You drove down a hill where they cleared the lane and then back up to get on the other side of Cox Road. Did you grow up on a farm or was it a little yes, neighborhood? A little small farm. Okay. My so, father was go ahead. Place. Go ahead. Yeah, so imagine I was gonna say, imagine what you know how you get past Sycamore Creek golf course out there on two fifty? If the next five miles that's what Innsbruck Broad Street used to look like. That's yeah, crazy. Two lanes houses farms Litchfields had a dairy farm on one side cattle farm on the other at the fire uh, tower um tilly's dine and hall and dance yep um that was my mother's uh, sister lived across the street she had a beauty parlor there and they would uh, do her hair and my job was to go to tilly's hall and dance and collect all the aluminum cans from mrs cox (laughs) and i would use them for the boy scouts for recycling all right, right. And, uh, my mother would let my mother said I could go outside and get them out of the trash cans, but I was not allowed to go inside to get them. Nah, I could not go inside till his hall of dance, dance hall. They, they were doing adult stuff in there, I guess. I guess, but it was daytime, so nobody was in there. But she, <laughs> she was adamant so, not to go in there. She, she didn't want to take any chances. Not at all. <laughs> all right, so you grew up on a small farm. Were yes. you a farm kid? Uh, pretty much. We raised horses and cows. Uh, the horses were the first part. We had about forty-six horses and ponies. We did trail rides for. Uh, groups, outings, uh, church groups would have us come and uh, do pony rides for the kids. Uh, my dad uh, ran Western Riders, uh, which is out on Shady Grove Road, further out into Hanover. Um, and it's like a mini rodeo type circuit. Hmm. Um, so we did that. I rode that some, you know, roping goats, whereas the adults roped, you know, cattle. Um, he had his first heart attack. The doctor told me he needed to sell everything, so he sold everything. And about 10 years later, he had a second bicep bypass. The first one, he had a bypass. The second one, the doctor said, see, I got good good results for that. Mm. Getting rid of all the horses. My mother said, now, yeah, but you didn't tell him to get rid of the cattle. <laughs> and he hadn't gotten rid of the cattle. So our cattle head went from probably about 15 up to about 40 head of cattle at one point. Because he lost his horses. Yeah, he had to have some in the field. My dad would not, and Kevin came and helped, well, let me see. Kevin came when we bailed hay occasionally. He watched, watched. Well, he'd get on the wagon, but the bales were probably two times the weight of him back then. <laughs> so watching him trying to lift a bale of hay, you know. I was, was trying. He was trying. We tried to put some biceps on him, but. Uh, didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> you know? So there were, ro- rodeo, 
people don't think of Henrico County no. or that part of the state or even the state of Virginia rodeo. Uh, it's kind of left the state. Well, it's still this. fairly prevalent down in the southwest part of Virginia. Okay. But around here, no. I don't even know. if uh, Last time I cut through that back way, um, the Western Riders sign was still up, but I didn't go down there to see, and I haven't heard anything about them. Well, I'm 60, and that would have been, you know, we're talking 50-plus years ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm assuming they're still there. I don't know what they're doing, if anything. So when you were a kid, besides when you were at school or your parents were telling you what to do, what were you doing in your free time? Or did you not have any free time? When your parents lived through the Depression, you did not have free time. I mean, they, we're working every waking minute. <laughs> I painted the fences. My dad worked for the railroad. He would collect 55-gallon barrels of the leftover uh motor oil from the diesel locomotives mm. and my job every summer was to paint our fences with the black oil from the diesel locomotives oh wow we never replaced a board on any fence so they last forever once you put oil yeah, it's on. like creosote i mean you just you put motor oil on them and it just that's how i hope it's not like creosote in the way no. that it, it uh well, <laughs> burns and itches and all that i don't know on that i just uh, it never bothered me on touching the motor oil Mm. But my job was to paint all the fences around the barn, paint the barn, paint the barn roof, pick vegetables in the garden. Um, you have six fingers on your right hand now, but that's yeah, other than know, that. A little twitch every now and then. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you're probably good. Major. Paint chips. So your mom and dad didn't throw anything away? They didn't no. let anything? No. Uh, my dad is now passed, and we started cleaning up the new farm, I call it, uh, where we moved him to after we sold the farm out at uh, Shady Grove. Um, my wife and I have carried somewhere around 24,000 pounds of scrap iron oh, to the recycler. 12 tons. And we haven't finished. We're probably halfway through. Wow. He never threw anything away. Um, people who through the Depression learned that you don't buy anything that didn't have money. Yeah. So you basically grew it, uh, traded for it, bartered it, uh, made it, built it. So yeah, you weren't going to hand over two dollars for nothing. No, now that farm is thirteen point eight miles from my house exactly. Lowe's is probably halfway between the two, and my dad would say, and I'm using quotation marks, um, he had to have it at the farm because he wasn't going to go to town to get it. <laughs> so you're six miles, <laughs> yeah, but you got to drive it, and. At 88, he was still baling hay. Wow. And we're like, you don't need to be baling hay because we didn't have the horses and cows anymore. But his theory was he could get, back then, $3 a bale. That's was keeping him in shape, too. Yeah. That's not what he was going for, but it was helping probably. No, but if you bush hog the field, you're going to bush hog three times a year, and you're going to waste the fuel in the tractor mm. bush hogging. And what do you get in the end? Nothing. But if he bales it, he can sell it. Yeah. It wasn't like he was trying to make money. He didn't need it, but... He just didn't want to. That was his mindset. It was his mindset of being wasteful. And yeah. Had a neighbor come by one day. I was in the shop. And he, he said, I need a key to the shop. And I'm like, what's going on? He said, I needed a five-eighths by three-quarter, you know, three-quarter by five, no, three-quarter by five-inch bolt. And I know your dad had one in the shop somewhere. <laughs> and I said, yeah. He's probably got 150 of them. Yeah. He rode, after he had a second heart attack, he rode with me to some job sites. And he would see them throwing stuff away. Mm. And, uh, and I know Mr. Flippin very well. As, as I had him, y'all heard, you had him on this podcast before. Uh, to be clear, we're talking about Kevin's dad, yeah. William. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but having that, my dad, 
saw these things being thrown away in dumpsters. People are just sweeping up nuts and bolts and washers and 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 you do uh, used to work at Capital One. So the flooring in a Capital One building is like two by two panels, right? And it's elevated floor, so all the cables and everything go underneath it. They were throwing at the, the Capital One in Innsbruck. They were throwing like a pallet of them things in a dumpster, and so I come out at the end of the day after I finish my inspection of the fire system, and my truck is leaning like I've got a flat tire, and I'm pissed. You know, how have I got a flat tire? And I go over there and look, and You're the dead. whole bed of the truck is loaded with these things. And I'm like, what are you going to do with these things? He said, they'll make a great sidewalk between the tack barn and the barn and the tractor shed and the tractor shed to the garage. And I'm like, and they did. I was just saying, he's he's probably not wrong. He wasn't. But, again, when he sold that farm, he went to the new place. He dug them all up Mm. and hauled them up there. (laughs) So, of course, we're trying to downsize and get rid of stuff. Yeah. 55-gallon barrels. We would just take five-gallon buckets of nuts and bolts and washers and dump them in there. Wow. There was no trying to sell them. I mean, you know, I would never have what anybody needed. So it's just easy to scrap it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I don't know that you're – when did he pass away? How long ago? It's been seven years now. This yeah. Is, it's been that long? I think so. So he, he saw a lot of people uh, behave in ways that he didn't understand, I'm sure. No. Um, the farm that he was at, uh, Wilton bought up all the farms around us, and we were what we call, what the county of Henrico refers to as a donut hole. There's actually a term for it. So if you have a non-entity inside of a residential community, think about where you live here. Do you want a goat farm in your backyard? I do not. Do you want a metal working fabrication shop in your <laughs> I don't want anything in my backyard. So people that were paying $450,000 for the land and the house around us weren't going to be happy that he every spring you go in the one of my jobs as a kid was every spring you go in there with a shovel to the barn and you clean out the stalls and you throw it in this contraption and you take the tractor at 10 years old and drive it across the field and it throws it up in the air it's called manure fertilizer effectively for us it was fertilizer it has a very rank smell and obviously somebody who's got a four hundred fifty thousand dollar house and on a saturday afternoon is entertaining family and friends <laughs> and here comes this 10 year old kid on a tractor just throw in manure <laughs> it's not going to end well yeah. <laughs> so. throw not hole so when did y'all sell that? <coughs> my mother passed first and you're talking probably 15 years ago now I'm not real good on those dates, um, um, but he, he had two years to sell to Wilton. Um, Wilton gave him an offer we couldn't refuse because we were the last farm. Yeah. Wil- Wilton's entire development goes away because all of his underground water lines and power lines come to a stop at our fence line, mm. and he can't cross our land. And the county said the donut holes has to be filled. If the donut hole's not filled, your development goes away. So it was y'all's farm right across from the, what is the mall today? No, Station 16. Okay. At Knuckles and Shady Grove. Right, I got you. Got you. Okay, cool. Uh, did you play any sports growing up? Just softball. How did you get into softball, not baseball? Um, I don't know. Tuckahoe was really around back then that much. Uh, if it was, we didn't know much about it. Um, it was probably five youth teams up at Short Pump Elementary playing hmm. on Saturdays we play and uh, um, it was actually uh, Eddie Ward if you remember him yep. lived across the street from you yep. uh, he was our coach Okay, and I was 
like five to I think you played from five to eleven as a kid, and then twelve to sixteen you played as a youth, and then after that you you were out of it or you kept on playing. Um, but I started playing adult softball I think when I was probably fourteen or fifteen, um, just being able to play it and, and fast and being able to catch and run and you're playing with old guys on a church team that you know they're on the death leg you know if they're trying to field a ball you're running in front of them and catching the ball because they're going to have a heart attack and i just kept on playing softball never got into anything else so when you were a kid i imagine baseball was something that was in the suburbs or maybe in the cities but maybe not out in the country it sounds like well, Tucko Rescue, uh, Tucko Rescue, Tucko Little League was across from Regency, yeah. where Daryl's um, yeah. used to be, <laughs> and BJ's is now. Um, Our favorite restaurant. Yeah. Daryl's. Did you ever go there? Probably. Yeah. Awesome. That, was, that was one of our haunts as a, as a youth member in our church group with Kevin. Um, but just always played softball. Yeah. Neighborhood kids would get together and play softball, the... We didn't have a ball field out there in the country. I mean, Shore Pump Alamere is the closest field, and it was a softball field. And this is a slow pitch. Yes. Yeah. He could have played baseball. I mean, I don't mean to speak for you, and you probably don't want to say it, but uh, he could have played baseball. I mean, he had the talent to have been really good at it. And, oh, his, son, I mean, and his son proved that out, too, by yeah. also being really good at baseball. But I mean, I've seen tons of really amazing softball players that yeah. didn't play a lot of baseball. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed watching our son stop playing now, but when he started, he played – high school oh, little league he played one year illegally as a four-year-old t-ball phenom <laughs> ty yeah um guy we both know was, ty came by my house one day and i'm pitching a phone ball overhand to my son and he's bouncing the ball all over the room and just like a four-year-old can do and i'm throwing him curveballs and he's hitting the ball and ty's like i need him on my t-ball team and i'm like ty you live in chamberlain little league we, we're in tuckahoe yeah. district that doesn't work and he said, well, I need him on my team. Just bring him out there. So we carried him out there. And, of course, Ty wasn't there. So his assistant's looking at Lee. He's small. Well, he's too small. He won't do anything. And So we'll let him hit at the end. So, okay, it's fine. No big deal. So Lee has fun running around like catching balls and chasing balls down. And all and comes up. And the guy says, all right, I'll let you bat. So Lee gets up to the plate. And then he looks at the coach. He says, where do you want me to hit it? And the coach's like, well, just try to hit it, son. And Lee's like, where do you want me to hit it? And he looks at me like, what do you mean? What is he talking about? I said, do you want him to hit it to left or to right? <laughs> and the guy's like, he can do that? <laughs> sure. Lee hit it to left. So Lee turns, spins, hits the ball over top of the third baseman's head, line drive. Can he hit it to right? Lee hit it to right. Lee turns, <laughs> hits it over top of the first baseman's head, down to right field. He played one year at Chamberlain Little League. <laughs> which I guess the statute of limitations is over. Um, but he played one year there as a four-year-old and then played Tucko Little League. Still played seniors even though he was playing high school because he just enjoyed playing the game. Yeah. And uh, he would, he didn't care who – he was like me. All he had to do was make a phone call and, hey, we're playing such such a field, such such a tournament. What color shirt? All right. That's all I need to know. What time do they need to be there? We're shorthanded. So, so were you playing, like, once you were an adult or even as a 14 mm-hmm. to, sounds like 16-year-old, were you uh, playing three uh, nights a week plus weekends kind of thing? Weekends and three to five. It just depends on what was going on. That's a lot of softball. Uh, I don't I don't have any games I end up playing. Um, 
playing on two different travel teams at the time, played co-ed, played church, played industrial. Well, they called it industrial, but it was a uh, accounting firm. Mm. I was playing for them. Bert was playing. Uh, a couple guys from uh, paint company out of Williamsburg. It was a very good C team. They were playing with us. Um, we played shoot ty called me one night then west broad honda had a team they were short-handed and it was it was good to call me because if you needed how many players you need and all i'd have to do is make one phone call i could get bert i could get Corey, i could get curtis i could get uh john hawks there was about four of them living together up here in richmond and all you have to do is make one phone call you get five ball players yeah um and we could play anywhere to, you know what do you need i need a shortstop well i'd get bert you need a first baseman i get you know john hawks you need a pitcher outfield of me Curtis or Corey. And so... Um, Bert's license plate was automatic. Yeah. Is that a reference to his hitting? Yes. Yeah. But one of the quietest people, you would never... like. It's like someone else must have given him that license plate. <laughs> like there's, He's such a modest dude. He is. He's in the Hall of Fame, softball Hall yeah. of Fame. Really? Yeah. Um, per, Isn't he? Perennial per, 700-plus hitter. I was going to say, he's probably hitting 700-plus. Oh, he's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Not a home run hitter. He was a table setter for us. Well, I mean, if everybody did what he did, uh, they'd score a million runs, right? Well, it depends on what league you're or what association you're playing in, too, because, like, in U-Trip, you had home run hitters, mm-hmm. a designated home run hitter. So if Kevin gets up, he gets a single. I get up, I get a single. You get up, you hit a home run. You're our home run hitter for the game. Ah. You're the only one that can hit. Like in C division, you only will allow the one home run hitter. Did you assume he was a home run hitter because of his size? No, no, no. We're, not, we're, not playing, we're not dancing around with that. Uh so in, in your analogy, Kevin hits the home run first. Our team's screwed because he's not our home run hitter. Yes. Yeah. Okay. If, if the wind is blowing out 100 miles an hour and he gets the ball elevated. <laughs> Did you ever hit any? You yeah. Towards the end, yeah. I've hit like, I think it's, it's under 10. Yeah. But it's single digits. Now I'll ask you this because if you remember Clatterball. Uh, oh, yeah. And I still see him. Uh, Sutherland and a bunch of them. They're bench pressing. I mean, they're working out all winter long, lifting weights. Clatterball is very, very well known in the Richmond area for what's <laughs> awful. Um, so they're, you know, they're swinging 35-ounce bats. Well, now everybody's swinging 26-ounce bats. And when I finally went down to like a 24-ounce bat and I hit my first home run, it was like, oh, my God. I yeah. didn't do any weight lifting. I didn't do anything to do that. I just hit the ball. The ball and the bat changed the game so badly. Mm. And I say that respectively, but it, it changed it to the bad side that you have. It's almost impossible to have lower association leagues that somebody's not drilling a ball, Paul Sadler, at your feet or your head 150 miles an hour. No, it's dangerous. And you have, what was the guy that used to pitch for us with deep run? Oh, Ivan Johnson? The older Mister, guy? Yes. What yeah. was he? He was in his 60s, but he was an older 60s than. Yeah. than what people are now. Had Paul Sadler drill one at him. Yeah, it would probably kill him. You know, it, yeah. it's, the game has changed poorly, I think, because of that. The, you don't have to do anything. All you got to do is hit the ball. Now, Lee, when he swings at a softball, it's it's like he's trying to kill <laughs> the other side of the ball. He wants to hit through the ball with the bat that it, it goes through the other side of the ball. He's yeah. cutting it in half, and he's just destroying the ball. And by playing all these different leagues and associations, um, I got into umpiring. And then Jerry Stone, who was the head of CIA, no, CAA basketball officials. Jerry Stone. Asked me one time, he said, I'd like for you to consider becoming an umpire. 
Yeah, I think you have the temperament for it. I'll think about it. He said, well, come out. Pemberton. He lived across the street. He said, I'm umpiring Pemberton Elementary. Come out. So I go watch him. He makes a bet with me. He said, bet you a dollar I won't make a single call this whole game. How can you not make a call? I mean, out, say, fair, foul, ball, strike, something. First pitch comes in. Guy hits a two-hopper to the pitcher. The pitcher throws it underhand to the first base. The guy's out. You know, he never called out. He Didn't just, have to, yeah. Everybody knew the guy was out. That wasn't a single close play the entire game. You were out by a mile or you were safe by a mile. Hmm. The ball was going down Pemberton Road because they overthrew the fence, so you're safe. Or, you know, it's in a gap and you run all the way around the bases. I owed him a dollar. And so I got to, I became an umpire, and everything I've ever done, I kind of increased my knowledge. I go to umpire clinics, um, became a umpire in chief for the region, then well, this area, then for this the metro area, uh, with one of the associations. Would you absolutely? <coughs> I'm not gonna call Jerry Stone. Do you know Jerry Stone? You've mm-hmm. probably seen him because you've played some softball in this sure. area. Yeah. Um, very nice guy. Yeah. He's not a. I'm not gonna call him a genius <laughs> because you absolutely have the demeanor of an umpire. I mean, there's no like you. You don't ever get upset, really, or get too excited. Like you're very even keeled. Try to be, um, and it works well as an umpire. You try to control the game. You don't uh, in, 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 invoke yourself onto the game. Uh, when I would do umpire clinics, uh, we would have some umpires. I one of the national umpires clinics I went to. The national umpire chief told us there's 200 of us in the room. He said, how many of y'all have ejected 10 people? A bunch of hands went up. How many ejected over 200 people? Hands, you know, started coming down. Over 300, some more hands came down. 400, some, it was like two guys. They were battling it out who had ejected the most. And he said, all right, y'all stand over here. He said, how many have not ejected any? And a couple of hands went up. He said, y'all stand up over here. So these guys are thinking they're going to get something great. And he just looks at him and shakes their hands as he walks down the line. And at the end, he said, these are the worst umpires that are out there. I agree. And they're like, what? You're oh, you're kicking out too many people. You're you're too short fused. If somebody even just says that wasn't a it was a foul ball, and you're tossing people. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you got somebody that's cussing you out. Right. And one of the worst cussing notes I ever got was uh, it was a bad call. Uh, <laughs> I got into position. I I mean I, I told the team I, I know it. I used to play with the guys, and they all knew me. And I had you make a call. My partner and I had discussed if a batter's on at the plate and he hits a gapper and he's going to go to third. There's no need my plate umpire coming off of the plate to go to third because that means I've got to go from second to rotate back to home right. in a two-man mechanic. Well, that doesn't make sense. I'll, I'll trail him all the way to third. You stay at home. The ball gets away. You're at home. Makes Easy sense. peasy. Yeah. That's what we had discussed. That's not what happened. <laughs> so my ass is at second base cutting across the, the mound, and all of a sudden I see, I got third, I got third. And I'm like, oh, shit. And, of course, the ball gets away, and I'm trying to hustle in. All I see is swing tag to a diving player, and I don't have anything. Yeah, you had no clue what the call was. And he probably had a better view of it looking down the line. I looked at him, and he's looking at me like. You call him safe? I call him safe. And they were around me like Custer and the Indians. I mean, they just surrounded me and cussed me up one side down the other. I said, guys, I admit it, I missed a call with the coach was level-headed and he said I, I know what happened and he tried to get him calm down 
And Steve Foster was one of them. And Steve and I played on a tournament team a couple years later, and he was talking about that. Do you remember that game that we played at in Colonial Beach, and we were losing like fifteen to two, and you made that call? We're down sixteen to two, and we won seventeen to sixteen. I said, "Yeah." He said, "If you hadn't made that call, we were going home." I'm like, "Yeah." Fired them up, but they got pissed. So uh, you mentioned Clatterball's name. Is he still around? He's still around. Uh, do you remember uh, or play against a guy named uh, Earl Hawkins? I did never play against him, but his name is uh, spoken with reverence in the softball world. Yeah, I grew I grew up with his son. Okay, and his son joined the Coast Guard. And we had a military Veterans Day th- sort of theme a couple of years ago, so I had his son Chuck on. Yeah, I took Kevin and Brad, I think, down uh-huh. to Petersburg one time to let them see the majors play. Oh yeah, because they had never seen them. It's unbelievable. Yeah, the softball. They, I don't, I don't think that was not the weekend that they were playing. But the worlds, the majors were in Petersburg that weekend, and one team. Nobody wanted to play steel sporting goods, which was big time. They were flying people in from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And they, Petersburg Eagles said, if y'all give us a deep berth, we'll play. And the final score was 66 to 10. <laughs> and Was Rick Share at that? Do you remember Rick yeah. Share? Because mm-hmm. you know who's dead. Yes. yes. That's Braun Strowman's yeah. dad. Uh, uh, the Golden Corral. He played for Golden Corral. Yeah. Yeah, I told, I told you this one guy, which he is, and Chuck Ingram. And uh, I said, this is a friend of mine, Chuck Ingram, and he's coming up to bat. And I said, he's a really good single set. I mean, he hit it anywhere. And he proceeded to put 350 feet over the park. Wow. And Kevin and Brad are looking at me like, yeah, you really know him. <laughs> I was like, well, he normally doesn't swing for the fence. There's some big boys out there. I think there was yeah. one guy I used to play. I think you said linebacker for the Lions or something. The came Colts. Up. Or whoever. I think he it was, was the Colts. Like 6'4". Yeah. Like Gilman size. Yeah. But they were – that was their job. I mean, they actually got paid to play. Yeah. And, um, I mean, when you say that was their job, it wasn't a part-time thing. That, that was the how no, they, 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 it was the part-time. I mean, uh, they they um, they were spokespeople, if you will, for okay. sporting for steel sporting goods. Um, so if they're swinging this bat, obviously you got to have this bat. <laughs> if, gotcha. if they're hitting it 350 feet, you can hit it 350 feet. <laughs> <laughs> not, not so much. Uh, All right, well, let's pivot to uh, what did you end up doing for for work most of your career? Uh Supposed to work for the RFMP Railroad. My my family put in over 500 total years of service between my, my great grandfather, grandfather, uncles, cousins, great uncles. So you total yeah. all up their years. It was 540 some years. So I never applied myself in school because I was going to go work for the RFMP. You're Jones. You work for the RFMP. And in fact, the summer of the, the year I was graduating, my dad's boss asked. He'd come by the farm, and he asked. He said, "When are you going to come to apply?" And I think I was graduating like June 8th, and I said, I'll be down there June 9th. And I went down there, they wouldn't hire me because I wasn't a uh, female and I wasn't African American. What year was this? 1980. Huh. And I went down a couple more times and applied, and they still wouldn't hire me. And uh, um, I wasn't the right color and I wasn't the right sexuality because they had quotas that they had to meet at yeah. the time. Um, and my dad finally told me, he said, look, you better find another job because they'll probably never go hire you. And if they did, you'll probably end up in Jacksonville or Atlanta because R&P wasn't struggling, but it just was a small I mean, CSX wanted them. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. in the name, right? Yeah. Richmond, Fredericksburg, and Potomac. So they wanted them bad, and, and they were buying up their stock over time. And I think probably in 80, maybe 84, 85, 86, somewhere around there, they, they took it over. I don't know if you you can't see it from where you are right now, but there's an old chair over there that used to belong to my grandfather. Mm-hmm. It was his uh, desk chair when he worked at RF and B. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Okay. And yeah. my, my aunt, and she won't listen to this, my aunt was going to throw it away. She had my son come over to grab stuff and put it in the back of the truck. And he sees the chair and he said, Dad, that's my great-grandfather's chair. And and your aunt, my great-aunt said, hey, well, let's take it to the dump. And I said, we're not taking that to yeah. the dump. We're going to refurbish it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. We still have my aunt's roll-top desk from Motor Broad Street Station. I bet it's beautiful. And it is. It's heavy as lead. I mean, that was back when they used real wood. And, well, that's when they uh, yeah. built stuff to last. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, my, my great-great, my great-grandfather was Andrew Jackson Jones, and he was the one that started it. And there was something, R&P had a Railogram magazine, if you ever saw that. Mm-hmm. And one of, the, one of the years, they had a front cover page of railroad tracks, and it spiked off with, like, sidings. And it was like Andrew Jackson Jones was the beginning. It was, it was like a family tree right. of railroad tracks. And so it had us listed out there. And, um, so R&P was where I should have gone um, because of that. I ended up applying with Richmond Fire, and because of my southern accent, fire, Richmond Fire. Uh, when I'm teaching a fire safety class, I get to roll and my lips get to go on fire. So, uh, hey, do me a favor, real quick. Say, um, say ambulance. Ambulance. That's what I thought. Hey, hey, say mom. I said, well, I say ambulance, like you say it, uh, but my wife doesn't think. What she say? Ambulance. ambulance. Is that how she says it? Yes, and that's she's going to laugh if she hears that's it. That's from that's from East End. Uh, yeah, yeah. My wife fusses about the way I say mum. Mum. It's not a flower. It's it's mum. Mum like your mom. But like, how do I say my wife's name? Murray. Murray. Yeah. Murray. Maybe you are. He's married. He's and married. It's funny as heck when you make a Murray. phone call on the on the thing. You say call Murray, and it comes up M U R. You want to call Murray Stevens? No, Murray. <laughs> Sorry, Murray Jackson. <laughs> anyway, sidebar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, I went down there, went through all the the, the first uh, written tests and then the physical tests, and I was in the first group of 25 that they called in. And that was the first time I ever heard that they didn't work like 8 to 8. Like I, right. I knew it wasn't Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, but I thought it would be like 12-hour shifts like five days in a row. And when they showed that calendar, it was, you know, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, and three days off. I'm like, hey, whoa, wait a minute, back this train up. <laughs> Who's going to call me every day to tell me what I do the next day? Because I'm not going to be able to keep up with this. I mean, who who has a job that you work on Monday, but you don't work on Tuesday, you work on Wednesday, you don't work on Thursday, you work on Friday, and then you take a couple of days off? And I said, what do you do with your time? And they're like, oh, we drive seven-up trucks and beer trucks and lawn care. and No. So I, I was applying, actually, for what you probably didn't know. Randolph Macon was looking for an assistant athletic director. Huh. And I thought, well, that might be kind of neat. I, I like sports, and I could be involved in that. And it's close to home. And a couple of guys, the coaches I was helping still at, uh, at Tucker with baseball and football at the time, they're like, no. Because you'll be doing, like, women's backgammon or, you know. Women's backgammon. All, all the stuff the AD didn't want to yes. do. Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> but we know a guy that's looking for a purchasing agent at a fire sprinkler company. And so I went to work for them and worked my way up from threading pipe in the shop up to about seven or eight years. I was a contract administrator and office manager for them. Um, had to change jobs for a couple reasons. Of uh, We transferred it to Roanoke to open up that office, and the person they hired wasn't a company employee, so he was skimming money and hiding stuff. Mm. But it was all coming back on me because I'm the corporate person. Right. And after about nine months, I said, man, I can't keep dealing with this. They said, oh, we'll, we'll let him go. We're going to fire him, but 
we just need to get enough ammunition. And I'm like, I can go back to Richmond. So myself and another guy started the company I own now. Oh, nice. And uh, I heard a preacher the other day use a term. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was worded. But basically, everything in my life I can go back and look at as how, and Kevin will remember, if Deep Run hadn't split, I never would have been up at Parham Road. Huh. If I hadn't been at Parham Road, I never would have met Murray. If I hadn't met Murray, we wouldn't have Lee. If I hadn't had Murray and Lee in my life, then we wouldn't, uh, the things that happened with my parents and their health going down, and my wife was so much there a part of that helping. Uh, you know the one before would have been, <laughs> we're not going to mention it, but I mean, I'd have been either in an insane asylum or I would have, I would have probably killed her. I mean, she was that nuts. Uh, but on the other hand, I did think about this one day recently because somebody said something about Denise. There was a time that I thought Denise and I might date. Right. If I hadn't left Deep Run, let's take that path, and Denise was still a Deep Run, would Denise have had what happened happen? Yeah. Because maybe, maybe I could have been the person that could have gotten her away from those kind of people. Yeah, yeah. That's that's true that's very true or maybe not but i mean life's about decisions right but some of the things that you just said really wasn't uh, a decision you made right the whole deep no, run thing it just seemed like in i'm not a very strong spiritual person but it just like seems i'm giving two paths and i'll take sometimes the harder one and it works out great even though this will be easier yeah um i could have stayed a deep run i could have possibly stayed with that person but it would have been no, we'd be talking to somebody else right now, probably. Yeah. So, what do y'all mean, stay at Deep Run? The church had church. a split. Yeah. Oh, the church split. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And Kevin uh, came over to Param Road with us, started playing on their team with us, and I ended up coaching him in RA basketball. Um, I, I, I had grand, uh, visions of grandeur that one day, like right now, I should be a, uh, being taken care of by him by his NBA contract. <laughs> I was going to help him get. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't know what happened along the way, but he just didn't pan out like I thought he was. Yeah, thanks. You know, back in the McDougal days, and I never got to be Tim Legler's size. That's probably what held me back. That's what is so goofy about my wife. She went to Bluestone High School with three hundred and some students. I graduated away from Tucker with two thousand one hundred fifty-three students. Six AAA state baseball championships. Mm. Not one single major league baseball player. Isn't that crazy? She goes to Bluestone, 360-some students. She has an NBA all-star, and she has a major leaguer graduate from her high school. Jerome Kersey. And who's the major leaguer? Michael Tucker. Michael Tucker. I was going to guess Jerome Kersey. Yeah. They yeah. both went to Longwood, too, didn't they? Yeah. And yeah. and she tells a story because we used to have dinner with this couple. Uh, he used to be the starting point guard in front of Jerome wow. in high school. So you always like you dig at him. Like, you know, how come you ain't on TV playing for Portland? I mean, <laughs> But she said in his freshman to sophomore year, I think it was, in college, he shot up like six inches. Yeah, he was tall. But, he, I mean, the story behind Jerome is he grew up playing, like, on a dirt court in his, yep. uh, I guess, wherever he lived. And the, and the rim wasn't very good. Like, he grew up poor. And, and oh, oh, Again, uh, again, I teach you the inside game in your backyard until he decided to run me into trees and trip me over roots. And he figured out how to shoot the ball over top of limbs. Yeah, well, hey, what are you going to do? 
<laughs> Didn't work out though, did it? So you have your own company now. Yes, I have sold it uh, in the past two years, three years now. I'm semi-retired, but I still do some inspections on the side. Okay, gotcha. But uh, so you spent a long time in, with sprinkler systems mm-hmm. and understanding fire code and right. everything about fire prevention. You also have, I, I just learned before we started recording, something of a uh, collection of fire. Do I call it memorabilia? What do yes. I call it? Memorabilia. memorabilia uh, yeah, million, say that, that one. word. Yeah. Uh, Ambulance. <laughs> no, I don't have one of those. Uh, just because, like I said, uh, my wife and I would be driving this other guy's trucks and parades, and she'd be on the truck waving, and people would tell her at her school the next day, ah, I saw you in St. Patrick's Day Parade in Richmond, and... After a while, she said, well, if you want to get something small, we can we can get a fire truck and have our own. And Henrico was selling a 1974 CJ uh, brush Jeep at the time. And my dad and his best friend, Garlin Barr, went down there to look it over. And Garlin's a great mechanic, or was he's passed away too. And they looked it over and told me what had to be fixed on it. And so I had to bid two hunters. They were both, there was two guys hunting buddies that were going to buy it to go trailblazing in it. And uh, so I bid on it and finally got it. And right behind it came Henrico's first hazmat bus. Mm. And Garland and my dad had said, we can figure it a way. We can cut the rear end off this thing, make a hydraulic ramp on it. You can drive the Jeep up into that, and then you can drive both vehicles to a parade. Murray can't drive stick. She can drive, you know, auto. And, uh, well, you know, my, she wasn't there to stop this from happening. <coughs> And I had enough money in my pocket that I got that. And then it was on. Hey, Charles City has a Henrico fire truck they're getting rid of. Hey, Manga Hicks got a Henrico truck they're getting rid of. Hey, Lake Gaston has two trucks they're getting rid of. And so all these are at your place, all yes. these trucks? Mm-hmm. And you still take them out for parades and that kind of thing? Used to. Don't do it as much anymore, gas prices being what they are. And, and just so busy on weekends with barbecue, it's uh, hard to get out anymore. But uh, we would do... My worst year in business was the year I did 103 events mm. because I wasn't at the business to run the business. <laughs> right. And, uh, and my accountant told me, he said, you need to cut back on some of this stuff. But um, it was neat. It was a family-type uh, event. You'd go to parades. You'd go to uh, hot air balloon show up in Winchester, Apple Blossom, mm-hmm. uh, Frakesburg July 4th parade. you do some Christmas parades around the region in Ashland Christmas parade. We would carry Santa on one of our trucks. Uh, one of our members would carry him at the end of the parade. And um, Kids love fire trucks. They do. Everybody loves fire trucks. Well, especially kids. Let's be honest. Especially yeah. kids. Yeah. So it just blossomed. And, and one thing which you're probably saying, well, he's a bazillionaire. Most of my trucks I got were free. Because the a 1974 Ford Orn can't be put back into use as a frontline piece. It's right. a two-seat fire truck. There's no riding on the tailboard any days now. So these are trucks that they just ran them in the, you know, to the point that they couldn't use them anymore. They didn't need them. Have you sold any of them? Sold one um, probably about three years ago now. And the rest of my Lee has no interest. So um, I am at the point of trying to decide what to do with them. There's a new museum that opened out in Roanoke, the Virginia Fire Museum, and I might talk to them about it if they have an interest. But as a department, Henrico has no interest because mm. the young guys are, they don't want to do anything with a 1958, you know, bean. And, They'd rather play on their phones or do whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's not their history. Right. 
Right. The, the retirees like it. Um, I've got the second Henrico fire truck that's still around. The, the first one's gone. But the second fire truck, the first hazmat, um, the 55 bean from 5, two Ford Orange from 3 and 11, the, haz, the hazmat I mentioned, the first ladder truck mm. that Henrico County ever had. Um, How high would that go up? 100 feet. Well, you know, it's a 100-foot ladder, but it's not going to go up about 75, 80 feet. Right. Um, just because of the angling. But, uh, well, but back then, that's all they needed, probably. Well, if you think about it, like in Rico, the tallest building is at Monument Towers. That's 10-story. Right. It won't reach to the top. Um, even the stuff that Rico has now won't reach to the top. Huh. Uh, fire trucks sit here, buildings here, put your riggers out. And just fire it up. Yeah. You know, it goes here. It doesn't go here. Right. So... Yeah, but the water can extend beyond that, I guess. It can. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, let's pivot to, uh, I don't know how we, we've worked this out, but uh, you're going to be there anyway in Urbana. Yes. The 23rd through the 25th, I believe, or is it just the 23rd and 24th? No, it's all three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, Kevin was probably talking to you about it, and Kevin said, I have a really good idea. Kevin's my idea guy, too. Um, he's my good idea guy. and uh, Good so, idea guy. So right. we're going to go to, what's it called, the Urbana? Bethpage Camp Resort. It's called Barbecue Gives Back. Uh, okay. Um, it's a contest that we developed. Um, I became a judge however many years ago now because I wanted to see how, I see these TV shows, and people are injecting pork butts. I've never injected a pork butt. Uh, my mother started me cooking when I was eight years old. Uh, my dad didn't cook. His idea, again, being a farmer, you know, one course meal, two slices of bread, piece of ham. Mm. You know, two course meal, add a piece of cheese. Three course meal, <laughs> put some mustard on it. Four course meal, throw some Oreo cookies in your pocket Got and hit it at the field. So she wanted me to learn how to cook, and that's how I got into it. Oh, but, so you were doing it as a kid? Yes. Oh, uh, wow. Every Saturday. She would go to my aunt's and have her hair done. Then she'd go to the grocery store and get her groceries. And so when I was about eight, about midway through the year, she said, I'm tired of him not learning how to cook and not wanting to cook. I'm going to have you cook. So every Saturday night, I would help her in the kitchen cook. And then when I was about 12, she actually had me doing, you know, I would have to tell her on Friday what I wanted to cook that night for that weekend. And she would pick it up at the grocery store. Um, That's a cool relationship for you and your mom. And, and for my, my wife and I, I call it the CNC club. She cleans, I cook. <laughs> and... Uh, it's a male thing, but she's she can cook. My wife can, uh, but she doesn't do uh, massive planning or large scale. Like Kevin's been to my house once or twice, maybe. Yeah, a couple times for stew and queue, where I do you know fifteen gallons of brownie stew and eighty pounds of pork butt, and we have sixty, seventy, eighty people come by yeah. and eat. Um, she doesn't do that, uh, so not many in, people do, Bill. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into the cooking aspect, uh, seeing the TV shows and they're injecting pork butts, and I'm like, "What's this about?" And so I took a judge class, and over time, cook, uh, judging as many contests, and then cook with a team to get your masters in judging. Um, Learn how people inject and certain rubs they're using, and the temperatures they're cooking, and you know, some teams do hot and fast, some do low and slow. Um, so learning all this and getting to meet. You know the people you see on TV and the cooking shows, and they're—it's family. Um, you know, you show up to a contest and oh, you left your salsa on the counter at home. 
well, I may not have what you want, but I've got something that's close to it. Right. Or, hey, I need a little bit more brown sugar. I need some more butter. I little bit full roll around out. Uh, flat tire on the side of the road, which is almost every weekend with these teams' trailers, stopping and helping them. And it's just uh, it's a big family. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the way everything should be. Everybody should, should be, be that supportive. Um, you want to win. There's Like we in softball, there's one winner. You know, in football, there's one winner. There's World Series. There's one winner. Nobody thinks that much about who else was in the in the tournament. Um, so they're they're competing for berths to World Series uh, after hours and points for the team of the year and cash and trophies. So they'll be down there for three days cooking. Uh, Friday night is one meat chicken turkey federation contest and then one meat ribs on Friday night. And then on Saturday, it's chicken ribs, pork, and brisket for the adults. And then we do a kid's queue where we have five-year-olds up to 16-year-olds that can compete. And they're doing chicken this year. We don't care how they do it. They can do turkey tacos, fajitas, turkey, uh, I say turkey, I'm sorry, chicken, um, sandwiches, soups. We don't care what it is, but the, the chicken has to be the star of the show. And then we repeat the process on Sunday with another round of chicken ribs, pork, and brisket. So it's two-day contest, two different contests. Um, one of the teams I run with, uh, that I drive for most of the time when they go long distance, he actually won both contests a couple of years ago, which is very hard to do. Yeah. And right now, we have, I know we have last year's defending world champion, Uncle Pigs, out of New Jersey. Um, oh, so people are coming from all over. Oh, yes. Um, Massachusetts, he's won a world championship. Um, Mudley out of North Carolina. I think Rednecks coming. Uh, Mary keeps up with the team list. How many teams, roughly, showing up? <coughs> Seven. Oh, my gosh. On Saturday, and I think sixty-six on Sunday. That Beth Page uh, campground is massive. Yes, it's it's unbelievably huge. It is, and it's right there off the river. We liked it uh, when we started looking out for a contest. We've been to enough contests that we've seen in downtown City Street. Charlotte used to have a tremendous barbecue contest, but hot asphalt. You know, you're just burning up, and well, it, it's almost like you don't. People weren't eating barbecue in cities back in the day, were they? <clears throat> Not really, but I mean, it's just the fact that you're downtown and it's hot and you have to rent generators for power and you have to run water hoses off of hydrants. I didn't want any trouble. I wanted it to be safe, simple, easy. Right. I'm lazy that way. Um, <laughs> I just want it to work that I don't have problems. So campgrounds have power. They have water. You know, they have sewage dumps. I mean, it's perfect scenario that everything's right there. And I don't have to fool with it if, if they don't have power. Something S- goes simple, wrong. simple and no hassle. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll have those teams. We have, like I said, probably four or five of the top ten from last year, at least eight of the top 20 in the world, so will be there. And when you say world, is that more North America than anything? Mostly North America, yes. Yeah. Uh, but Australia, New Zealand, um, Italy, Belgium, Holland – I think some are in England now. What are all those people doing doing barbecue and that kind of thing? Hey, they just uh, Kansas City Barbecue Society is is not restricted to the, just the United States. Hmm. They, they've made it a worldwide process for teams. Canada has a bunch of contests. Um, a lot of contests went away after COVID because of 
sure. know, not being able to compete and all. So, um, but these contests are all over the place nowadays. But thir- thirty years ago, you weren't doing uh, no. Australian barbecue. No. Yeah. Um, but now, Tuffy, some of these spokespeople for food vendors like Smithfield or Prairie Fresh or whoever they're sponsored by are taking their product to these foreign countries to introduce it hmm. to them. Would that be like a shrimp on the barbecue? Oh, Lord. Yeah, sorry. There, There is at least one moment every time Kevin co-hosts where I'm like, I'm not sure I should let Was that it? That, that, that was the one? That was probably it. Okay. I just earned the word occasional in front of my co-host title. <laughs> uh, it's fun. Uh, the judges uh, have a great time doing it. Uh, I will say that this is something that as an umpire, you get paid. As a judge, you don't get paid. So it's on your dime to travel to these contests to judge. Um, it's it, we call it a four-legged stool. To have a contest, you need the organizer, somebody who's going willing to put it on and put up with the headache of weather and tents falling down or generators not working or water supply trucks not showing. All the all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, that's a thankless job for the organizers, the teams. Well, you can't have a sporting event unless you have teams. You can't have judges. You you got to have judges to right. be able to judge a product. Um, and then you have to have the person that runs it. And I've attributed it to almost, if you think about it, like softball. So you have a tournament director, you have an organizer, you have softball teams, you have barbecue teams, you have judges, you have umpires, and you got to have somebody who's in charge. So in baseball, softball, you have an umpire in chief at the field, you have a rep who runs the contest and makes sure everything's followed right. So you have those four legs on the stool, you can have a contest. Um, Teams are varied from husband and wives to just individual guys to individual women to uh, young people. There was a team a couple of years ago. She was really tearing it up as 11 or 12 years old in the backyard. Mm. Uh, she was out cooking, you know, people 40, 50 years older than her. Wow. Um, it's not It's not really what sauce or what uh, smoker you have. I've said this a gazillion times. If you gave Tuffy Stone, uh, who they call the professor, if you are watching the barbecue shows, he's here locally. Uh, if you give him the cheapest brisket you can find at the most rinky-dink grocery store, five ninety-nine for a thirty-pound brisket, that's what they're going to charge. You give me a Snake River Farms Wagyu three hundred dollar brisket, and you give me Tuffy's Jambro smoker and you give him a Weber cattle, he's going to kick my ass 10 times out of 10. Is it because he's an artist? He's an artist. He knows what to do when things go wrong. Um, I found that laptops are very aerodynamical. (laughs) And when things don't work well with that laptop, a lot will go flying. Yeah. Uh, I will kick a pork butt across the street if it ain't working (laughs) right. And I get, when Kevin's come to my house for stew and coo or Christmas parties for eating, when things ain't going right, it ain't happy times. Yeah. <laughs> and with barbecue contests, you have to turn in at specific times. It's not like I can call a time out and say, hey, these ribs ain't ready. Give me another 20 minutes. Right. You have a 10-minute window to turn them in. Mm. And if you're late, you get DQ'd. How many judges are going to be there? So the math is one judge per team. So if we have 70 teams, we need to have 70 judges. I know we have 11 tables of judges on Saturday, so that's 66 
Um, plus a table captain at each, so 77 on Saturday. How many different uh, barbecue makers are uh, is a judge covering? Just just one? So the way we do judging is you'll have uh, six entries of chicken will come to your table. And let's just say we have three other judges sitting at this table tonight. So we will get six different teams chicken. When ribs come, we're going to get six totally different teams ribs. And then we'll get six totally different teams pork and six totally different teams brisket. Uh, the reason for that is, well, Kevin is a really poor scorer on brisket. He doesn't like brisket. Um, you don't like brisket that well. You, you, you're looking for something that maybe the team's not turning in. So this may be a low-scoring table. So instead of killing 24 teams in brisket, it'll get bounced around. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. It doesn't happen often, but we do have some judges that occasionally – have some preconceived notions of what they're looking for. Uh, we're teaching that. I'm now a CBJ instructor, so I go to different places and teach how to become a judge. We're really enforcing that or reinforcing with them, don't judge except what's in the box. Don't look for legs in chicken. You might get thighs. You might get breast meat. You might get flats and drummies. You might get chopped uh, chicken. But don't go in looking for something. Be surprised. Be excited for what you see. Um, our first reaction is you're, you eat with your eyes. Um, so pre- presentation is important. Obviously, my wife didn't have her eyeglasses on when she met me. <laughs> she, I, you took the joke from me. Yeah. But, but isn't one of the things that you judge the presentation? Yes. Yeah. So in looking at a box, I'm looking at the box of appearance first. And everybody at my table will be shown that first box. They'll close the box up, put it down. Then they'll show box number two. And you'll score that. And then box three, four, five, and six in order. And once you've written down your score for appearance on each, and we do not do comparison scoring, mm-hmm. uh, which is hard. So if you get a piece of chicken and you bite into it and it's succulent, it's moist, it's got great flavor, it's got a good little bit of heat on it that you like, or if you don't, uh, whatever you liked about it, and you gave it all nines, that's our high score, nines. Nine on appearance, nine on taste, nine on tenderness. The next box you've taken, and you take a bite of it, and it just kills box number one. It just blows number one out of the water. There's no 10. There's no 10. You still give that one a 999. Yeah. We don't restrict you on how many nines you can get. You could fill up your whole scorecard with nines if it's that great of food. Yeah, it's tough uh, going first. You could have an advantage if you're not that good, but they think you're really, really good, or the opposite could happen. So I got a, I got a question for you. Um, Imagine a plate of food like you just ordered at a barbecue restaurant, and that's what how much you eat. At, I don't know how much that is. Several pieces of brisket, maybe um, maybe some pulled pork with some coleslaw, whatever. It's a, it's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. Yeah. How much? How many plates of that food does a judge eat in a day? So they're getting six chicken ribs, pork, and brisket. They're probably biting at least two ounces of each item. But you're just taking one bite. Yes. Okay. Or two. Uh, you, you don't have to take two, but you, if you take one bite, of uh, you say a chicken thigh, you take a bite. I don't need to take another bite to reaffirm my score I'm going to give it. I liked it. Uh, I think it's great. had great tenderness. Maybe it had, uh, uh, it was a little bit on the too sweet side, so maybe I'll give it, a, I gave it a nine for appearance because it looked great in the box. Uh, the joke that I give uh, to a new judge is if, I look at that box, and I would kick my son in the groin, and I would step on my wife's face to get in it, to wallow in it before you. It's a nine. If I would give it to my mother-in-law with a smile on my face, it's a five. Mm. That's just, 
the words, each score has a word, like nine is excellent. So did have, I know Kevin had to eat, have you eaten tonight? Yes. What did you have? Uh, we had pasta with tomatoes, onions. No, no, pasta with olives and capers. Homemade? Yes. Okay. So looking at a scorecard, and nine is excellent. Was it excellent? Well, my wife made it, and she's not going to listen to this, so I can uh, answer this honestly. <laughs> so look at an eight, look at a seven, look at a six, look at a five. I'm going to give it. Uh, I'm going to give it an eight. Okay. So what's an eight? Very good. Okay. So it had some room for improvement. It did. All right. So and I hope my wife is going to okay. listen to this. So you would give that scorecard, um, the score that you gave it. Um. Where we vary is trying to get judges to understand we're not looking for things in the box is one thing. Secondly, that we're not doing comparison scoring. Do you eat a lot of barbecue? I do. Where do you like your barbecue from? Ooh. Uh, the, what's the place in North Carolina? Smithfield. Smithfield. Okay. Man, that's some chain. good barbecue. It's a chain, but it's really, really yeah. good. Nothing wrong with I mean, it. I, I, I'm obviously not a judge of barbecue. Doesn't matter, <laughs> but here's... Here's it's it to me it's it's no different than Cowboys Redskins. I'm aging myself. I'm sorry. Cowboys Redskins, uh, Democrat versus Republican, Virginia Tech versus UVA, Clemson versus South Carolina. Uh, it's it's if you like something, you like it. That's all you like. Right. You can't have anything else. Anything else sucks. <laughs> and you have extreme bias towards that one. Yes. Thing. And as a judge, we can't do that. We need to be able to accept. Have you ever had Alabama barbecue chicken? I have not. Vinegar-based, mayonnaise-based, white. That sounds good. It is very good. But for a judge it sees, and, and I know we're doing not a live stream to show pictures, but, you know, you're seeing reddish color mm-hmm. chicken. Yeah. And I've, I've had students in my class say, what's that? And it's chicken thighs. Well, it doesn't look natural because they're all cut the same shape and size and all that. Yeah, from a distance, it kind of looks like a meatball. Yeah. Yeah. So that became that came from Iron Mixing years ago, developing muffin tin chicken. Mm. Taking a, a pats of butter, putting it in a muffin tin, shaping and forming the chicken thigh into a square pillow, putting it in the pan and cooking it in there. So the butter is helping moisture and keep the chicken moist. It's got a good crispy skin on top, puts the sauce on it, so it's bite through. And it's good. Once you invent something and you come up with something and you start winning, every team out there is going to want to know, what's he doing? What right. is, and, oh, $900, come on down to your hall of Georgia. I teach you everything <laughs> you need to know about how to cook chicken. You know, and, you know, that's what he does. So, power to him. Great, you know, for him. Uh, but once somebody does a class, then they're sharing their secrets. I never understood that from a sports person. Like, I, Tucker, would never go to Freeman and teach them how Tucker was – pitching was working not in a million years no. no and yet these teams are doing it and then these teams they're learning what these teams are doing like i said earlier with tuffy and, and me cooking against each other tuffy knows enough about cooking brisket he's cooked thousands of them he knows what happens when a 10 mile per sustained wind comes up and the temperature drops 20 degrees on that smoker i don't he knows what happens when that wood is a little bit more damper than what we were expecting it to be. He knows when that uh, that brisket has a uh, temp spike, and he's gained 20 degrees in 15 minutes. All right. I don't. Tuffy's a, he's a master. <coughs> he is a master. He is a professor. 
Um, he's been a mentor to a couple different people uh, in this area. A great guy. Um, one of those ones that Myron is too, uh, and don't get me wrong, Myron shows well on TV. He is a yin and yang with Tuffy on the TV shows. Somebody's got to be the villain, and he wears that crown uh, well. Uh, nice guy, friendly guy. Don't cross him on a contest, but great guy. Does Tuffy win a lot? Tuffy stopped competing um, as much. He still does a couple of the world championships. He'll be at Memphis in May this year. Um, he was there last year. He, he got a call in shoulder. Um, we got a call in ribs. We finished ninth in 140-some teams in ribs and second in chicken wings. Tuffy's not going to be at Urbana? No, he's actually in New Zealand or I forgot where he told me the other day he was going. I know he's going to be out of town, though. Yeah, that's a bit of a one of, those, one of those trips he's making for his sponsor. So you're nice enough to hook us up with talking to some of these folks. Who, who are we talking to? Um, so I talked to you all about uh, four different teams. Good Googly Goo. Um, the best name ever. It's definitely a top three name. <laughs> there's, a, there, there's a bunch more team names that you'll see. It, it's... Uh, teams do a great job with coming up with the names. Apocalypse Now was a team. Uh, Mike Fay, he passed away a couple years ago. Oh, this past year, I think it was. Um, Optimus Swine. Optimus Swine, 757, because he's in the 757 area code. Uh, his trailer is decked out like a metal, rusty... Uh, I, when I Trans, was, transformer. transformer. Yeah. Yeah, when I saw it, I was like, I'm not eating barbecue out of that trailer. <laughs> and then he brought it over because Murray yeah. was nice enough to take us over there. Man, it was succulent would be the best thing I could tell you. It was awesome. You're cooking for one bite. That's the difference between restaurant cooking and nah. competition cooking. Yeah. Um, people will say, I, my, my mama says I make the best chicken, so I'm going to sign up for this contest. I'm going to come down there and kick all these boys' asses and – they go home crying because they they don't know they they just don't know that we don't uh, score well with bite through ribs mm. fall off the bone ribs TGI Fridays Ruby Tuesdays do a great rib but it falls off the bone I can take any one of his three sons and I can do that all I gotta do is cook the rack about 10-15 minutes longer and I didn't do anything special to it I just cooked it longer yeah. so to fall off the bone we want it that when you bite into the rib, only thing that comes off is the meat where you bit it. You're yeah. not left with a Fu Manchu mustache with the meat hanging down. Right. Because <laughs> uh, everybody can do it. It's hard to get a rib to do that in that 10-minute window. Precision's and, part of the, the exactly. competition. Yeah. Um, timelines, keeping up with the timelines of making sure it's done at this time. Um, the chicken should be bite through skin. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be, but you don't say it has to be. But do you really want to flap a skin hanging down on your Mo- chin? Most people don't. So you're going to score it down because of it. Uh, brisket should be tender. Should pull apart without. You know, I've seen briskets and I've actually judged briskets before. You know how you open a Lay's bag mm-hmm. and you and you know it's just going to just Shred. go everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And you're sitting between two other judges, and they're doing the same thing, trying to pull this, and you're just waiting for it to slip out of your hand and smack the other guy upside the face. Uh, pork, as you asked about the, how much we eat, um, pork normally has two, three, or four different samples in it. So when I say two ounces of chicken per piece of chicken, well, you might have four samples of pork in the box. You might pull, chop, money muscle, slice, 
horns, uh, bacon. What's money muscle? So at the back end of the pork butt, the bone end is on one end. At the other end, there's a tube that runs along the edge of the pork butt. Um, you'll see it. There'll be a striation of fat, like in rings. Um, that's probably the most tender piece of the pork butt the Ben has cooked properly. Mm. It's usually very moist. It has a different texture than the pork butt itself. And the teams will, once they've got it pretty well cooked, they will actually cut that out of the pork butt, and they'll set that aside and finish cooking it. And then they'll cut it into slices. So think about a 50-cent medallion. Right. Um, some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller. But tender. Super Very tender. tender. All right, uh, Bill, I, I think you uh, are a fan of professional wrestling, or at least you were at some point in your life. Kevin, I know, is. I, I've uh, been a connoisseur uh, for a good chunk of my life. This is my last question before Kevin asks his uh, standard question when he's here 15% of the time. Uh, who is the, well, 15% of the time he remembers to ask the question, or 15% no, of the time that he's here? He's here, okay. to be very clear. And let's not. He's, he's earned the name occasional co-host. He's asked this, my question, too, when I'm not here. I've, well, okay. because of your attendance record, I've asked it more than you have. Who, who's uh, your favorite professional wrestler of all time? Back in the day, Johnny Weaver. So Johnny Weaver, uh, after he retired from wrestling, he was doing commentating, color commentary, mm-hmm. effectively with Rich Landrum, who lives in Colonial Heights. Oh, okay. And I was talking to Rich yesterday. I wish Johnny Weaver was still around. He yeah. was really entertaining. Uh, I mean, back in my day, it was Sweet Hanson, Rip Hawk, uh, Johnny Weaver, Paul Jones, Tiger Conway. Does Paul Jones look like William Flippin? He did. It's fine. Can your dad still drive? <laughs> I never saw I don't him. that far from your house. I never saw him together <laughs> in the same place. So I remember we were at the arena one time. It was Bobo Brazil was wrestling Johnny Valentine. So you had the white versus black. And this 90-pound little lady comes down with her walker, takes her shoe off, walks all the way up to the ring, takes her shoe off and hits Johnny Valentine in the back of the head. And all everything just stopped. The wrestlers were in mid-move because he was the bad guy. He'd been cheating. And the police picked her up, one on either side of her arm, and she went out, you know, with her feet dangling. And, and the other one I remember, we, I don't think you were, you were with us. We were at the Coliseum, and a fight broke out behind us in the stands. And your dad had driven us down there. And, again, it was Tiger Conway was wrestling Paul Jones. Paul Jones was a bad guy, and he was cheating. Uh, And these guys were arguing about it behind us. And one of them took and swung at the guy, and the other guy swung back his cup of beer. Just as I was turning around, because you're kind of watching the wrestling, then you turn to watch the fight back here, and you turn. And I turned around, and the beer went all over my face and on my coat. I was 14, 15 years old, and I'm trying to explain. Figure out how we're going to explain to my parents <laughs> why I smell. that I smell like beer. Paul, Paul Mr. Jones served me beer. <laughs> Mr. Flippin's got some explaining uh, to do. Yes, he does. Love Ric Flair on the mic. Uh, oh, he's the best ever on the mic. Uh, MJF nowadays is, I'm still not sure if he's sane or not on some of the stuff he does. Um, he takes it, he crosses the line. He crosses big time line. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I used to yeah, back in those days. You got autographs, yeah. and I had, I don't know where that autograph book ever went, but I had a pile of autographs of different wrestlers at the at the places. Um, well, back then people weren't smartened up by it; like they yeah. thought it was real. Like, hence yeah. the fight in the stands. Yeah, people thought the stuff was real. 
Oh, yeah. Until it became sports entertainment, and Vince McMahon admitted. Now, most of us by that time knew it wasn't. Yeah. But but they were it, they were coming in as wrestlers. Yeah. Right. They weren't coming in as the Undertaker or the Macho no. Man or. My whatever. grandfather was on Saturday morning. So it was Saturday around around lunchtime. They would come on Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling, mm-hmm. and I would be down there as as farmers in Laurel, which is not too far from here. And he would get so angry with whoever was cheating, he would take his cane and shake it at the, at the TV and <laughs> kick him, kick him like a dog. And uh, I, 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 I guess I got it from him. But uh, it's it's my wife will stop when she's walking through the living room on Monday nights or Friday nights, which nowadays it's almost every night it's on, and she'll stop when Ric Flair's because she likes listening to him. She'll I don't think she's a fan of him. She just that she likes. Hearing him talk, he's talk. amazing. Yeah, yeah. You could you could sit there for an hour on YouTube. I mean, and just watch it. All the memes on Instagram. He's yeah. like every tenth yeah, absolutely. meme. He's great. That's well, him and uh, the the DX stick that they were doing back in the day. Is like you know what are they going to do next? What are they going to do next? The Rock was great back then the too. Rock, yeah, I, and you forget how good he was because he's become such a. Yeah. Megastar, but because of people Instagram, don't think of him as a wrestler. As yeah, much, yeah, the memes are coming back, and th- that stuff is hilarious. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm, if something's on and something's happening, or something's said on TV about somebody, and I'll I'll get right on the computer. I've got a laptop in my lap, and I'm I'm looking up somebody from back in the day what they were doing and remembering that, um, you know, Super Destroyer and one of the wrestlers dressed up like Super Destroyer so you could cheat, and you know the. <laughs> Uh, the 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 Apollo and Lanny Poffo and oh God Charlie Brown from out of town. <laughs> I think we've interviewed Charlie Brown from out of town. We can't prove it. We don't know. We don't know if it was really him. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, Jimmy Valiant claimed it wasn't him. Oh. I think it might have been. I mean, they look a lot alike. They do. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the best thing ever. Uh, it's a cl- close to Dusty Rhodes. Didn't Dusty Rhodes come back as like the the outlaw or something? And he had a that's <laughs> going. He's got the, such a distinctive yeah. physique that they du- really were not supposed to know that Dusty. No. Rhodes. Speaking of good on the mic, Dusty was good on the mic. Dusty yeah. was. Dusty was. Awesome. Oh, what was the guy? Um, his brother's in WWE now. Um, Dusty's other son, uh, Cody or Dustin? Dustin, when he was doing the uh, Tourette's. Dust. And you had, you remember? Oh yeah, he was doing Tourette's for a while. He was. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he and and I like, I really like Sami Zayn. I didn't like Sami Zayn for a long time. I really love his stuff he's been doing lately. Yeah. And how he can get when he did that one. I had sent it to you that night when it was happening because I knew you weren't watching it. But when he said he's not feeling oozy, yeah. yeah. And you see all of them just like. Oh, I gotta stay in character. I gotta stay in character, and they're they're struggling. <laughs> and, and Roman Reigns is they like, are you not feeling oozy? And he, he's like trying to wipe his face, like trying to get back into character. Uh, but it was Dusty. Dustin was in the ring with Triple H, and Ric Flair was managing him at the time, and he was doing the Tourette's thing. And you could see Ric Flair, and, and they they couldn't hold it in either. Just, well, how could you? <laughs> Between him and Kurt Angle back in the day, yeah. how do you say it? Keep it? Or Stone Cold. Stone Cold was yeah. pretty funny. Oh, People don't give him a lot of credit for being funny. Diesel uh, Nash was pretty funny, too, but he was sneaky funny. Well, so, yeah. I'll ask you a question. And so they just announced that Kofi Kingston's going into the hall. 
and Kobe I'm like, Kingston is? yes, and I'm like, why? I mean, he's still. I thought I think of him as still being young. And it's yeah, prime. That I would he's say. like what, maybe what? another ten years, fifteen years. He's got to be in his forties, right? Yeah, that's odd. Yeah. So the first one they announced the other week was who? Mysterio. Mysterio, and I, I think he's. He's not in his prime. No, but I think he's kind of on his way out. Yeah. But then the next week they announced Kofi Kingston. That's weird. And I'm like, and then they said something about, I forgot who they were talking to yesterday, that they said that he was going to probably be the inductee, inductor for them. And it was was a tag team. But it wasn't who I was thinking it was going to be. Ricky and... um, Ricky Rock Morton and the, the Rock and Roll the, the Rock and Roll. It wasn't going to be them. Everybody was saying it ought to be them. Yeah, but of it course. It was going to be like it wasn't. D, who was the two guy? Diesel and some other guy. Big. They they dressed up in black and silver and I don't remember their name. You talking about Kevin Nash Diesel? I think it was him. Was one of the tag teams. Scott Hall? No, it wasn't no. Scott Hall. This was way back early, and there was some discussion about them getting in. I'm like, what is this one going to be this year? Because I can kind of see Mysterio. He's on his way out. But to me, I, I, I'm this is my belief. Again, Republican, Democrat, whatever you believe is fine. But to me, you ought to be retired. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else does it that way. Yeah. I don't all Hall of Fames are that way except for the – well, not really. I think Basketball. Golf, I think golf Hall of Fame, you can still be playing. On the senior like, tour. Yeah. Well, but you can play golf till you're 90. Sure. I mean, I, you can I wrestle know. until you're 80. Apparently, according to Flair. <laughs> Wow. All right, hit him with your question, Kevin. All right, you ready? Okay. I did not have relations with that girl. Wow, <laughs> easy, Bill Clinton. We don't need that one tonight. Um, unless you want to be the answer to one of the, to this question. So you are a late, a late night talk show host tonight. Okay. Um, you have to pick a male guest, a female guest. You're creating your show. So okay. one time only show. One time only. A male guest, a female guest. A musical group to end the show, oh, obviously, God. but also a comedian. So basically, the Bill Jones Show. Can Male, I do? Can I? You know, I'll ask for lenience on this. Can I do a four night show? There's five nights in a week, and I would like to do it as I would do it as the WWE doing that three for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that that's not a bad idea actually, uh, but this is your only night. Okay, and you got to create a show that it could be personal to you. I mean, your your male guest could be somebody in your family, um, could, could or be, a be somebody you. Yeah, yeah, it could be anybody. Because if I would do a three for dinner, I'd, I've been doing the ancestry thing for a long time now, and I would really love to speak to, to talk to my great grandfather, my grandfather, which I did know, and my dad, and just listen to them, because I listened to my dad and my uncle talk railroad stories, mm-hmm. and their railroad stories were as hilarious as the wrestling stories of things that went on at the railroad and things that they did. And I would like to talk to him about what he, how he got into the railroad. Secondly, why he fought in the Civil War on the side of the Confederacy because we didn't own slaves. I mean, a little small gentleman's farm. I mean, I I don't know why he did that because he was from Virginia. Yeah, but. What's the reasoning behind it? I don't think there's a lot of reasoning. In today's world, you're once you're told that, then you're a racist, that your family was racist. And I'm like, I, we didn't own slaves. I, I don't. I think the decision was really simple. Where were you from? Okay, that's the side you're yeah. going to be on. So so maybe maybe your great-grandfather's your male guest. Yeah. Who's your female guest? 
And if you want to have second, third, fourth nights, you're on your own, Bill. Kevin and I are only sponsoring this first night. <laughs> if I did another one, I would have Tuffy and Charles and probably Chris Lilly. No, or, uh, um, James the Flame. He's out of California. Those three are three of the best cooks I've ever been around in teaching, talking food. Um, I, I can listen to them. I've learned a lot from... Uh, I, I cooked with James at Smithfield event one time and just watching his work ethic of how he pulled together meals for like 150 people at an hour and a half's notice. Oh. It was appetizers, don't get me wrong. We weren't cooking full-course meat. But just he was presented with the meat. It wasn't what we were expecting. And it's like, this is what we're going to do. And he's just pounding it out. He said, you do this, and we took off. Charles is... Yeah, Charles is a protege of Tuffy. He learned from Tuffy, cooked on Tuffy's team, but they both have the same work ethic for cooking. Um, timing, sauces, rubs, I mean, measuring it down, grinding. A, I'm pulling a grind out of a, of a, a, a seasoning out of a bottle and shaking it on there. They're grinding it down to a fine powder because it has to be this. Yeah. And... Again, that difference between what theirs is going to be like and what mine's going to be like, you're going to pay $25 for that meal. You you might get up and go to McDonald's with mine. Now, Kevin's had mine. Do you like my barbecue? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, do you like it? Yeah. Is it as good a barbecue as you have at any restaurant or better? It depends on the restaurant. Okay. I mean, I, I, I your barbecue's really good, though. Yeah. I mean, it's... I enjoy. I usually when I come there now a days like the last time we came from stew and queue, I ate one bowl of stew I think, mm-hmm. and a bunch of barbecue. <laughs> yeah, so Tuffy. Well, let me back up. Charles finished ninth in the worlds last year in the ribs. Um, he likes what I'm doing with my ribs. The difference is, Charles is all about temp on a probe and something. I'm all about feel. Mm. Tuffy's all about feel. It's how you get. Th- point a to point z is being able to know what you're doing and charles is always interested in seeing how i'm picking up a rack in a lunaful pack and saying it's not ready you're not going to tempt that no i don't need to i just did i picked it up it wasn't bending the way i wanted Mm. Um, tuffy's a lot like that but having those three to talk barbecue and and would be great Okay, so you've got six male guests now. Uh, <laughs> That's Monday, do you, Tuesday. Do you have a female guest? <laughs> Wednesday for females? He's going to give us 12 names. No, I'm, I don't really. I'm not, as he said, I don't get really excited about stuff. Uh, when we got married, and Mary will tell you, she swore up and down. She said, I thought you were going to walk off the stage. Because you just did not smile. You didn't look like you were happy. You didn't look excited. I'm sitting there thinking, is this girl going to walk away from me in six weeks? You were scared how, how to soon? death. I was scared to death. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the way I was. I, I, I don't like crowds. I don't like publicity. Um, they asked me to speak with Michael Simon of Food Network at, a, at an event. Spent some time with him. And I'm like, this is Michael Simon. Who cares? Meyer Mixon, who cares? Tuffy, who cares? They're people. I, I enjoy them for them being people. I don't enjoy them for their celebrity status at all. Right. Well, can um, we can we go eye candy at least? Name a woman Mandy that's Rose. eye candy. Who? Uh, Mandy Rose. Okay. And you're not going to love this one. Valerie Bertinelli. I like that oh, one. Oh, she was hot. 
I hope Mary doesn't listen to this one. And uh, she's listening. Well, the question after this is, tell me about Mary. <laughs> right, Mary. It should be the third one because she have to keep me off the other two. Uh, I like I like Valerie Bardinella from the standpoint she was married to Van Halen. Uh, she's on one day at a time before yeah, that. Yeah, one day at a time. That's what you liked want. her. Liked her back then. She's into cooking shows. Uh, love watching her on those shows. She does a great job with that. There's uh, your female guest. Yeah, you just tied it all in. Yep. All right. How about music? Music is tough. My my playlist goes from Amos Lee to Metallica to Frank Sinatra to Fleetwood Mac, Elton John. I mean, I'm all over the place. You, uh, you got to pick one. Foo, Foo Fighters. That's probably my largest playlist of all the artists I have. It's Foo Fighters. Yeah, it's probably Foo Fighters. Okay. That's and not, not David Grohl. <laughs> I'd like, I would love to talk to the drummer. Yeah, yeah man, he d- he died way too young. Yeah, his son is pretty sweet though. Oh God, one of the drums. He beats the crap out of the drums. Yeah. All right, so comedian. I've seen two of these: John Pignette, Robin Williams, and Eddie uh, Griffith. <laughs> and I love Eddie Griffith. And it would be like people are like you like him. I'm like, oh, oh, he's hilarious. hilarious. He's, I've, he's I've been absolute. with him a couple of concerts that he's had in Richmond. In the Funny Bone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, John Pignette, for the cleanliness of his storytelling and his facial, um, he, he died too young also. So did Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams, just his stuff that he could just take off, give him, hand him a glove, and he'll take off on a glove. And he'll yeah. go for an hour. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Um, that's a good show, though. I mean, there's a lot of people to get in in I an mean, hour. I mean, you're, you're going to have to settle in. That one, those three there would not be an hour. I mean, they would be their own week on the, you know, because if you had to pick one, I would probably say John Pignette because I like his cleanliness of his stuff. Eddie would be, it'd be for the late, late night <laughs> viewers. Cool. All right, let's end with you telling us about Mary and your and your son. Oh God, how'd you meet Mary? Because we ended up at Parham Road. Her brother was going to Parham Road. We were in the Sunday school class together, and we had a Bible study uh, one night a week. And his wife started showing all the men in the Bible study class this picture of this young lady, and she said, "This is my sister-in-law. She's going to be up here student teaching, and we need somebody to." take her out and show her the town well mary's from chase city a little small area and uh so she was student teacher in chesterfield and some of these people you might know robert ferguson he was semi-engaged to his wife to be uh, eric bridges was i think getting ready to get married to ha yeah kevin mullen was of course married to Danette. Yeah. um and it was somebody else in the thing and they were married and I'm the only really truly single guy in the group, and uh, so it kind of quote unquote fell to me. Um, so she told me she was going to be there for Mother's Day. Uh, they were doing baby dedication, so uh, Jay and uh, Tracy's daughter was going to be dedicated, and all her family was coming up. And at the time, the Paramount had a men's team and a women's team. And there was a very attractive blonde girl that I had been hanging around with and, you know, doing the flirting thing. And maybe she might be. But she lived over off of Kane Road. And I went by her house like the week before. And we're sitting on her front porch and we're, you know, just talking and seeing how things are going. <laughs> and she says, would you like a cigarette? Well, I don't smoke. Never have. Don't like it. 
bothers my allergies. Okay, so she lights up a cigarette. Well, strike one. She, would you like something to drink? Yeah, water, Mountain Dew. Well, I got beer, wine, whiskey. Well, I, I don't drink. Never have. Strike two. So I'm like, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in on this. I'm on, you know. She, I mean, you're, I'm, you're a two-strike hitter. Yeah. She was yeah. cute. Yeah, and very attractive. And then the cat came on the porch. Oh. And the cat jumps in my lap. And she's like, that cat has never liked anybody's come over here. I can't believe it. Well, I like cats. So I'm rubbing the cat. Our family always had cats because you're on a farm. you got to keep the mice down. The cat jumps out of my lap, jumps in her lap, turns his rear to her, and sprays her up and down her front of her shirt. So she goes inside to change, and I'm sitting on the porch, and I'm like, okay, God. <laughs> That's enough. I, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get her to stop smoking. I'm not going to get her to stop drinking. And the cat didn't do it to me, but yeah. did it to her. That Sunday, I'm still thinking that God may be wrong. I walk her to her car, and Tracy grabs my arm and says, my sister-in-law's in here. you got to come meet her. They never look back. Yeah. And I always wonder about that girl. So she'd be 59, 60, that she ever. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> She's still sitting on the front porch <coughs> drinking and smoking with the Yeah, so move forward about a year. We've been dating. Um. Every other girl I ever dated would come out to the farm when we were baling hay. And I'd, I'd say, you know, just sit on the porch with Mama and, you know, work on vegetables, getting them ready for canning. Murray shows up in a three-quarter length Longwood ball jersey, a pair of rotten blue jeans and some old tennis shoes. And I'm like, we're going out tonight with you dressed like that? What What's going on? And she said, well, I came to help you all bale hay. Mm. And I'm like, no, you, you don't know anything about bailing hay. Well, I'll give you a hand, Dave. It's like, well, come on. Do you know how to drive a tractor? And she's like, no. And I'm like, no, she doesn't know how to drive a tractor. And he's like, well, come on, jump on the tractor. Well, he takes off across the field. I'm left greasing the tractor, no, the, the, the baler. So she comes back and mumbles on the porch. Come on, Mary Ellen, come on up on the porch. And that's the only time I say her name right is when I give her her right name is Mary Ellen. Ellen, oh, well, yeah. But when I Murray call Ellen, Murray Ellen, right. Yeah. yeah. So... Mary's like, no, I'll help them. So about four or five laps around the field, she hasn't killed us yet. Daddy turns around and pokes me in the chest. He said, you better not let this one get away. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking she might be a keeper. I don't know why, but. You don't know why. Things are, because, well, I didn't think she would stay with me. I mean, just. But you know now. Yeah. Been, been you still doubt it. No, I don't doubt as much, but there are times where I know I irritate the heck out of her and drive her nuts, but uh, she stays with me. And I I still say when my dad had cancer and he ended up moving in with us and his last days of hospice in our house and, um, you know, things happen physically that that changing bedding and changing clothes for him. Yep. She didn't flinch. No. And she didn't run around, run away screaming. Yeah. Keep her. Yeah. Tell us about Lee real quickly. Uh, Lee is the pride of the family. Uh, The joke was I was number one. Murray came along. I moved down to number two on the list. And then Lee came along. I moved down to number three. And I'm not too sure that the donkeys and the horses and the cattle weren't number four and five. And I might be down around number eight in my my dad's list anyway. Um, Lee's, in my family, 
direct family, great-grandfather, grandfather, my dad, myself, he's the only one who went to a four-year college and graduated. He's a landscape architect, fully licensed here in Virginia. He went to Clemson, played baseball down there his freshman year on club ball. Um, but then after that, he couldn't do it anymore. Made all region, all district, all state in baseball at Godwin. Um, but he just, he wanted the degree. I made the joke about, you know, God. God has a sense of humor. Um, I'm very good with math dimensioning measuring if i told you that i need something six inches long i'd have a pretty good idea of cutting it close to six inches without ever measuring okay. murray's got to have a rule um murray has the looks she has the brains of schoolwork. Um, i had the athletics and the aptitude of looking at a problem and solving it if god had wanted to have a sense of humor with us he could have reversed his traits and given him my smarts and my looks and her ability to build he'd have been a, he'd been a John Randolph I mean he'd, he never would have done the things he's done so we're very proud of him um, he lives at the farm he maintains the property up there farming keeps the grass cut um, and he's his company just got bought he was with Higgins and Gerstenmeyer and I really don't know the new company name but he's a landscape architect the joke is everybody says, oh, well, he'll be able to fix your yard. I'm like, well, what's wrong with my yard? I didn't know it was a problem. <laughs> I'm growing moss. Moss is great in a yard. It stays green, and yeah. you don't have to cut it. It doesn't grow that I fast. I don't have to. My neighbors on either side of me every year, they're there weeding and, and aerating and putting down hay, and it comes up beautiful. It's beautiful green. They cut it every day. You know, they cut patterns in it. Beautiful. Come drought. Turns yellow. Mine's still green. So, two quick things from me. Uh, number one, with Lee, he, um, I don't know how many times he did it. I think he did it twice. Uh, replicated the Wiffle Golf Tournament. Oh, nice. Up at the farm. Did yeah. a great job. Put off, put on a great Where was my tournament. invite? Yeah, we didn't, he doesn't know you. Does Lee know, um, that, does Lee know I'm the original? I think I did invite you. I think you were uh, unable to come. I, I, I am like one for the last eight days yeah. or something you, you don't show up very often that's why i thought you met bill but then i remembered you never came um because <laughs> wiffle golf was invented yeah. at gilman's house um but by Paul by gilman. a bunch yeah. of us number two um and now i forgot what i was going to say because something to do with lee no nah, that was what i was going to say about lee oh um something to do with ask. mary no because he's really I don't. I've never understood. Now you're ask, right? You're involved in ask. ASK? Ask. I was. I okay. was. He, he is, is now, isn't he? He is like president of something with raising money for the Richmond Home, Better Home Coalition. Is one thing they raise money for. They do the gingerbread house contest at Hardywood every every winter, um, and they raise tons of money for that. But he has something to do. They do the, the no shave November yeah. thing, and they raise yeah. tons of money for that mm -hmm. as well. Mustache. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's involved in both of those as charities, and and that didn't. I'm not saying it didn't come from us because we're charitable folk, but it's he's gone way above what I do. Um, um, speaking of our barbecue contest, we're raising money for two groups: the Burn Foundation of Virginia, which is they handle uh, distributing money to MCV VCU Burn Center. It's the only one in the Central Virginia area. So if you suffer a burn, 
Um, a lot of burns are children related and they're not accidental. They're mm-hmm. on purpose. So then the other group we help with the money is the Central Virginia Burn Camp. And that is for, for kids from 5 to 16 who will go to camp for a week. They get to hang out with 30, 40 other kids just like them, missing hair, missing you know, scars on the face, body, whatever. But to be in a pool by yourself with other kids that aren't like that, it's got a stigma to it. It's lonely. Yes. But you go to King's Dominion with 30, 40 others looking just like you, yeah. they just have a ball. So um, we raise from the golf tournament we do every October – for those two groups, a hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand goes to MCV and fifty thousand goes to uh, the burn camp, which basically funds their camp for the week, covers their insurance, covers the rental of the camp. They go horseback riding, inner tubing, go to King's Dominion, go to museums. That's great. Go to a concert. So um, Lee's really big into that, which. Uh, we're very proud of him for the, doing that. He's a fine young man. That's no question about that. Even though you were the first son. I was, and I didn't live up to expectations, so you had to have Lee. So, uh, Did you think of your second thing? No, I'm second. Is that what you're saying? No, did you think of your second thing? You said you had two things. Yeah, I And did. you forgot the second I did. <laughs> Something that he does every year that I'm surprised we haven't brought up. How many lights do you put up at uh, your house on Christmas? You're on the tacky light tour. Yeah. So the cedar tree that's out front, when we moved into that house, Lee was on a tricycle. So he was three or four years old. That tree was probably three feet tall. And now it's about 45 feet tall. We put about 9,000 lights on that tree. Our total when you say we, is there, there an army of people that are doing this stuff? Yeah, there's me, myself, and I. Because, mm. again, did I, did I mention my son is a landscape architect? You did. He's not into hanging Christmas lights. Uh, most people aren't. No. So... Uh, that tree, we've changed the light scheme around some. Uh, we put up, I think the final count this year was around 47,000, mm. um, <laughs> which isn't much. I mean, the guy the guy over there across the Cougar is like a million five. Yeah, yes. I, I'm at like uh, 38. Like, I'm not. 38,000 is not a bad count. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you real quick. Does, does your light bill like quadruple or 10 times that month? Or? This past year, was it was normally it's double. Double. For the month. Okay. Now, That's we only turn them on December 1st to the end of the month. So our, our power bills are normally double. This year was about three times, as I recall, but it was a cold winter. Yeah. And so we were running the heater a whole lot more than, than normal. I've always wondered. I, I can't imagine what that guy's light bill goes up to. The one million guy? I have no idea. I mean, he's got a, he's soliciting money every year there for his... This was the last year, though, didn't it? This year? I think I, I, think I read that. I, he said that for a couple oh, he years. Has he? Okay. Yeah. Well, the one thing, his mother died, so they were selling her house. Right. But the neighbor, if you face his house, the neighbor to his right mm-hmm. has told him he can put anything he wants in his yard. And he does. And he did this year. Yeah. So now what was in his mother's yard got moved into <laughs> that yard. We have Crazy. 78 deer. Um, and some of them we got from him, which surprised me because Murray was the one that got them. For all that she talked about, you know, don't buy any more lights. Yeah, well, you are with your wife. Mine is, don't tell me not to buy something in November when I bought it when it was on sale in January. And she says, well, it's a blanket. Well, no, it's a brand new year. It's got to be, you got to tell me in January. So I buy stuff that's on sale. But people, we would show up from house. We'd be out of town. And obviously, you'd, you'd come back to the house from the weekend and be a deer or two laying in the driveway because somebody didn't have them working. Even Burton gave us like four or five. 
Yeah. You know, they don't work. You know, I'd rip off their lights, throw a $2.99 strand on them. So we have 78 deer. Uh, Do you have more uh, deer or fire trucks? Deer, 78. (laughs) Okay. But more fire hydrants. Fire hydrants, 108. You know why I have 108 fire hydrants? I have no idea. Because I don't have 109. That's how you end a podcast. Did you ever tell him about your basketball prowess at uh, Mechanicsville Baptist? No, but if you want to tell the story about the water cooler play, feel free. And I had really nothing to do with that. But it was it's classic, and people still remember it. In fact, the preacher at my dad's church right now still remembers that play, and he wanted anything to do with our team. So I was coaching the RA basketball team, and, and we didn't have good players. So of course, I recruit Kevin from Deep Run to come over, so Deep, he comes over and started playing softball with us. The two things about him in softball, he'd be in right, I'd be in right center, and we would be singing, um, Everybody Wants Me. Don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me, baby? Because we, we're in the outfield singing. Well, it's kind of lonely and right and right yeah, center. Because we want you to hit the ball to us. Sure. And uh, <laughs> So anyway, I've got him, because bringing him him, brought in Brett McPhee. Uh, bringing in Brett McPhee, brought in... What was a little small guy? Will Norris? No, not Will. Um, oh, Chris Isbell. Chris Isbell. Yeah. Um, and suddenly we have a very, very strong <laughs> youth basketball team. So uh, <laughs> the two, two things I remember about that RA basketball league, they had a kid named McDougal. Big burly kid, you know. You run into the lane, you're you're risking your life, you know, type kid. <laughs> he had a beard. Yes. How old were the kids? 12, 12, 13. So Kevin gets fouled, and, I mean, he gets royally fouled. And, I, you know, my first reaction is, is he okay? So I'm looking at Kevin. I see his body moving, so I know he's not <laughs> paralyzed. My next reaction is to turn to look to the stage at the end of the gym to see where Mr. Flippin was. <laughs> And I see something I don't like seeing because Mr. Flippin is out of his chair <laughs> and he's pulling his pants up and adjusting his belt. Similar to Paul Jones pulling up his uh, wrestling tights. And I'm yeah. like, oh, God. And I look back and now Kevin's getting up and I see Mrs. Flippin like reaching at him <laughs> like he's okay, he's alive. And I'm like, oh, please don't come down on this floor. <laughs> but we were playing something. I don't know who we were playing. It wasn't McDougal's team. It was somebody else. And it's a close game. I think we're up by one. And all the kids, my team was taught everything. We, we did every defense, 3-2, three, 2-3, two, two, three, one, three, one, box and one, triangle and two. Everybody else was just doing a plain 2-3. Yeah. So uh, all the kids would run over to the far end of the gym where there's this is water cooler. This is prior to bottled water and Gatorades and bottles that you bring to the gym, or your mama would bring. So everybody go over and get the water. Scott, Scott. Elder. Yeah. Big burly kid, not a really basketball player, but, you know, neat kid. So I take Scott to the side. I said, go over there to the water cooler. When you get your water, when they hand Kevin the ball underneath this end, you step on the court. Because everybody's going to be packed down here because all my players are down here. So he goes, we call it the water cooler play. So he gets over there, he takes his water. Referee blows a whistle in play. Scott steps on the court. Kevin, you know, I think it was you, threw the ball down. Because he gets it. Because they can't – the coach down here is screaming bloody murder. Is he in the game? Is he in the game? <laughs> well, yeah, he's in the game because he's on the court. And they 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 didn't like that play. It, it wasn't, but, but it worked. It, yeah, it wasn't it cheating. Um, but it was a church league, so, yeah. you know. It wasn't it – it was, was, it was frowned upon. It was frowned upon. It wasn't uh, in God's image. No. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I, I'll figure something I can answer on that, but I don't know what right now. <laughs> Parting of the water. <laughs> oh. But your dad, oh, God. Yeah. McDougal was about to get whooped. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was It was not going to be pretty. When, he, when I, Like I said, when I looked at Kevin, I said, oh, please move. <laughs> this was like in three seconds' time, minutes went. In three seconds, I'm looking at Kevin. Please move. He's moving. Where's Mr. Flippin? Oh, shit. <laughs> and, oh, good. Thank God. And, oh, he's in, in Mrs. Flippin. This was like in three seconds' time, but it felt like it was a long time. But, yeah, we had a good time you know, coaching that. Eric was on the team. Well, he was helping coach. and Every practice, Brett McPhee. You know Brett, right? <laughs> I do know Brett. Brett would uh, – this is a good thing to wrap this up with, too. Brett McPhee used to love Larry Bird. So Brett McPhee would always try to do – I don't know why I'm saying his first and last name. Brett would always try these crazy passes yes. most of us were <laughs> ready for. Poor Eric would be cutting through the lane, not even paying attention to Brett, and a ball would smack him right in the side of the head. He and deserved he, it. He gets so mad. His in ass- the chest, in his, in his leg. You would think he'd learn after a, a couple Brett times. Brett would put spin on a ball, and he'd throw it like over here so it would hit there and bounce back this way. and. And Eric would just run down the court looking at his hands. Like, you know, he didn't hit you in the hands, Eric. He hit you in the head. He didn't be looking at your ear. He didn't be looking at your chest. That's awesome. All right, well, Bill, I'm looking forward to Urbana. Good. We're going to have a good time. Hopefully, we'll talk to five, six, seven. Uh, I have four lined up right four. now. If right. You want another one, uh, we were talking about it. We got off that track. So, good googly, uh, Wolf's Revenge. He finished, I think, in the top 10. Good googly finished second in the Jack Daniels World Championship. Mm uh Mudley crew just won a she's a woman-led team she just won a gc in i want to say iron station north Carolina, about uh three weeks ago uh she finished in the top i think she finished in the top 50 she was probably the highest women finishing team yeah. but she finished in the top 50 and optimus swan yeah i think you said that yeah john wade and his brother jason they own a restaurant down Tawano way called uh two drummers okay and that'd be a neat one because of the fact that they the restaurant versus competition. Well, and they're not far from here. No. Yeah. So awesome. Well, we're definitely looking forward to good. it. Appreciate the opportunity. Sure. Appreciate you hooking us up, and uh, yeah, we should have a good time in, in, yeah. in Urbana. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.